Stock, Collaborate and Listen brings you SME operation experts who live and breathe supply chain. In these trying times, collaboration is king if we are to survive and thrive. Tune in to your peers as we aim to unearth and share pearls of wisdom that have been forged from long careers and the latest struggles. As Stephen Phipson, CEO of Make UK, said in last month's Manufacturing Expo, the pandemic has helped us in providing the resilience of the sector. And although the bounce back is real, things are starting to stall with businesses now dipping deep into their cash reserves to counter the rocketing costs of transport, energy, raw material. And this disruptive cocktail is forcing businesses to dramatically review their supply chain arrangements at speed and spurs a growing trend, bringing the supply, the supply base closer to home. With these roundtables, we look to bring together SME supply chain professionals in order to share learnings from the last 24 months and fast track best practice. Large businesses um, have a budget and in-house know-how to tackle these challenges, but SMEs do not. So collaboration is king if we are to survive and thrive. It's fair to say that the rules of supply chain are being redrawn. Resilience is starting to trump efficiency, with winners being those who've been able to rapidly adjust their supply chain strategies to accommodate the succession of shocks. Today, we are lucky enough to have supply chain expertise from four UK drinks manufacturers to chew over the changes they've made and are going to make to their supply chain. I'm delighted to be joined by Doug Clark from Genio World of Teas, Nick Fordham from Southwestern Distillery, and Thomas Robson Carnu from the Tremeric Company. Um, and last but not least, we're also lucky to have with the supply chain consultant Sam Gilks from Young Foodies. We'll look at the demands and benefits of moving operations to overcome supply chain shocks and issues, and then we'll spend some time looking at the challenges and opportunities Net Zero is starting to present. First off the blocks, I'd like us all to have a chat about uh, reshoring and nearshoring. We could even argue about what that means. Um, um, and the first one I want to talk about is tackling Europe and what I'm going to call nearshoring. Brexit is helping redefine nearshoring. At Unleashed, we've seen firsthand over the last 18 months, many of our customers setting up operations and warehouses nearer their European demand to sidestep the additional paperwork, bureaucracy and charges they and their customers have been met with. I'd like to talk about these challenges and how you've overthrown them. But first, let's see Dennis Kelleher from Good Culture Kombucha talking about these experiences. My name is Dennis Kelleher and I'm the CEO at Good Culture Kombucha. Uh, we are a global distributor of kombucha ingredients. Uh, we supply to over 100 companies um, all across Europe and further afield. Yeah, Brexit has really like hit us hard actually. Not, not in terms of our sales, but in terms of like the complexity of export into Europe. It's been really challenging. Um, I was quite optimistic about Brexit, but right up to like January 1st, but then when the reality of it hit and the challenges around exporting and how that, how hard that is for our customers to deal with, for us to deal with um, additional paperwork, bureaucracy, um, delays, taxes, charges, tariffs, um, on everything we do has been really, really hard. Yeah. It's, it's dominated my work since, since the 1st of January, yeah. As a result, we've had to set up a second business in, in Ireland. So we're going to have our UK business and also an Irish business, which will take care of all our European customers. Um, it's, uh, 
it's costly. It's time, you know, it takes time and cost to set these things up. Um, but we've used Prospect and Unleashed through all of that with both businesses and it's, it's worked out really well. What changes, if any, have you made to continue trading in Europe? I'd love Nick to pick up this one because I know this is a topic dear to your heart. Uh, um, I'll be honest with you, I've been quite disappointed with the, the way Brexit has, if you want, the rubble has settled. Um, so to answer the question, we work with our suppliers uh, and we made sure that we um, got a lot of other stock in Europe before January the 1st. Um, and then that enabled us to basically take a break for the first Jan, Feb, March of you know, the year to just see what was happening. It also enabled us to give us time to uh, understand the full, the full uh, kind of reach of what was happening, how it was happening, paperwork, uh, customs and excise clearance. So shipping out ethanol was, or alcohol-based spirits was, was, became a significant challenge. So what we had to do, um, we, we've got an Irish business now as well, so we've got dual labels on it. We've also got a warehouse in Amsterdam. Uh, one of the big aspects that, that, that really hit us was that you could no longer um, compile, if you want, or collate uh, multiple uh, deliveries into one um, lorry. So the cost per unit went up quite significantly. Um, but what it meant is that we had to adapt the way we, we ran. Um, also, selling out of, of, and shipping and delivering all from Amsterdam meant that we've now got a secondary warehouse. Our inventory went up. Uh, or inventory, the stock holding went up, which meant cash flow went down. So Brexit for us has been a real challenge. Um, are we more agile now? Slightly more agile, but still, I mean, the cost per pallet was gone from £80 to £250. That's that's a, quite a significant, you know, bite of your margin to, to, to accommodate on smaller uh, deliveries. And that's one of the things that we're looking at. So we have to look at large deliveries. We have to look at kind of uh, lagering if you want, in, in, in a European base and then supplying from there. So it's changed our business, export business quite dramatically. Um, for the rest of the world, um, no changes. It's exactly the same as it was before. ROW is, 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 is very simple. Um, we don't, uh, one of the other things that we also did is we went to the DA with uh, Molson Calls, so distribution agreement, and they cover Spain as well. So they're, they're doing, and also Ireland. So they're doing a lot of importing from, from us for those, for those markets. But for the rest of them, we supply from our Amsterdam warehouse. So we've got additional cost of warehousing, storage. Um, each time a, a bottle is picked or a case is picked, there's a cost onto it, how it's packed. And then you've also got to understand how you audit that system as well, how that goes out, whether the pallet that goes out is going to be representing your business in the way you want. The first image that turns up, you want it to make sure that. Yeah, there's lots of things. It's been a real it's been a real challenge for us, actually, to maintain uh, the European link. But, and this is a bump bit, it, it, it's, it's seen as a, as, a, as a key market for us, not just for the gin brands, but also for rum brands as well and, and the other uh, new products in the portfolio. So I hope that gives a, a kind of insight of some of the challenges we went through. So I guess it was three phases. The first one is uh, we stopped up before Brexit. We then gave it a period of time to settle. And then we moved into the back into that marketplace once things started to settle down and we could take advantage of, you know, wherever there's, 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 there's a challenge, there's an opportunity. So that's when we've come in and we've, we've, we've looked at who our hauliers are. We've looked at who our transporters are. 
Um, and yeah, we've worked with those who have managed to adapt more effectively. Amazing. Thank you for, I like the way you went back over and gave us the three points there. Okay. <laughs> um, who next? Doug, do you want to talk about what, what happened for Jenny M? Yes, yes. Um, I can echo some of the uh, some of the problems that have been expressed already. Um, the the major impact that, that had on us that all of a sudden we started to receiving products that we had shipped into Europe and conformed to all the requirements. They ended up coming back to us, right? They were failing customs. They were failing all sorts of things, despite the fact that we had conformed to the new regulations. Um, we, we ship um, into Europe, we ship overseas, we ship to Australia, New Zealand, South America, and um, we had very little problems with the international shipping outside of Europe. The problems came when we were shipping to Europe. Now, um, there, we still have problems shipping with the, uh, into Europe, and still some stuff comes back to us. Um, and it's, it's down to the the lack of preparedness that the couriers had in order to manage the shipments into Europe. Um, although we were up to date with uh, the latest regulations, um, the couriers, um, not at the top, but down at the actual ground level, they were unaware of what was required and uh, how to manage it. So that, that's the impact it had on us. Um, the changes we've, we've had, um, we have not, not lost business in Europe, but the, the, the European business has, has declined uh, and it's coming back, but it's not the major um, it's not the major market that we are shipping into. Um, so com- taking that and combined with the, the, the COVID thing which we've all suffered from I'm sure um, we have come out the other side better off more equipped better skilled a better understanding of the shipping procedures and requirements across the world not just in Europe but across the world so there's been a benefit in Brexit it was painful extremely painful at times but when you come through the other side of those things um, there is benefits but like, like a positive spin. So, Thomas, you were saying that you were selling into Duns, is that right? Yes, correct. So we were, uh, prior to, to Brexit, we were distributing um, into Ireland uh, from a retail perspective, Duns and Spa Group. Um, and as soon as Brexit hit, you know, as, as Doug mentioned, you know, the, the, the shipments were simply failing and it was simply down to, you know, the preparedness of, you know, obviously the, the couriers, but also the distributors and the receipting of the goods uh, into uh, a European country. And uh, it took quite a long time to, to establish, you know, a sort of clear framework. And certainly now there, there's a lot more clarity in terms of the requirements, which are significantly more than what was required before. And so we also were, prior to that, uh, setting up a plan to launch into Europe direct consumer. So uh, the Turmeric Co was set up very much as a digitally native vertical brand. So very much around that direct consumer experience. And so we have been shipping our product via uh, one-off orders and subscription models throughout the whole of the UK since launch. Uh, However, again, that essentially fell flat on its face because 
of the requirements involved in sending a single parcel with an average order value of £55, all of a sudden with the additional duty required on, on, on top of that, which was because of, as we said, the preparedness and the lack of understanding around paperwork was being passed on to the customer and not actually being able, being able to communicate the requirements to the customer at checkout. So what we have been you know, working on as a business and as a brand uh, in terms of internationalization to launch into Europe is essentially setting up a distribution center within Europe. Uh, again, I think uh, Nick mentioned they've got a, a, a warehouse in, in Holland. We've looked at Holland, but we're also looking at Germany and essentially will deliver distribute directly into uh, the warehouse and then ship direct consumer from, from, from the local destination. Again, there's significant paperwork involved. There's obviously, you know, the, the, the understanding of the tax requirements in, in associated with that. So it's very, very complex, but we're wading our way through this gradually, working with a number of distributors who have, you know, begun to get a grips with, uh, with, with shipping through and into Europe. And we think that's ultimately the solution. But in terms of change and impact, it's significant because, you know, what was prior to that a relatively seamless experience of purchasing from the UK and distributing into Europe has now turned into a, you know, a, a myriad of, of complexity. Um, but I think, you know, uh, echoing what, what, what the guys have said also, we, we ultimately have strengthened our logistics chain and our understanding and our infrastructure in order to accommodate that. So although there has been a lot of disruption out of that, we're, we're, we will be coming out of it uh, very much in a stronger position. That's, all, that's, that's really great that that seems to be across the board. Sam, you're obviously interacting with many customers on, on, this, on this topic. I suppose your question could be slightly different is, you know, no, let's answer the same question and then I'll come on to answer. <laughs> Go and ask sure. a different one. Sure. I mean, I, I I don't transact in Europe because I'm, I'm a consultant that assists brands to, to do this kind of stuff. I guess we've seen lots of people respond in, in very similar ways, um, setting up D2Cs in Europe, um, assessing where, what their product is. New product development's been part of it as well, trying to find ways around, um, you know, higher tariff items or, or complexities. Obviously, if you're moving alcohol and animal products into Europe, it's more difficult than if you're moving other types of products and vice versa. If you're bringing in, you know, a vegan product from Europe, it's a lot, lot easier than if you're bringing in a, an animal product. Um, so there's been all types of challenges there. Um, and, and it's run both ways. Obviously, a lot of people manufactured in Europe all types of things and brought it to the UK to sell in, in this market, um, maybe sometimes even reworking it and getting it out the door. Um, there's been a lot of money spent on consultants, I would say, in the last 24 months. There's a lot of customs consultants and supply chain consultants who are much, much busier than they once upon a time were. Um, it's just a challenge all around. I don't think, again, it's you've got to walk through the fire to come out the other side, kind of kind of like Nick and Thomas and Doug have already said. Um, and there'll be winners and losers out of that process. Um, some, some brands went into that fire and never came out. Um, other brands have come out and been, you know, hardened and they're, you know, the hottest fires make the strongest steel kind of thing. Um, so sometimes you do have to go through that pain to, to get to the other side. And it was either a sink or swim moment, I think, for a lot of brands. Um, and again, there's also been other solutions where people have just brought manufacturing back to the UK um, and they've sort of, you know, cauterized the artery and said, you know, we don't need to do that. <laughs> Um, I'm loving your metaphors this morning. You've just got like all going on, Sam. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I guess I speak in metaphors sometimes. But um, 
but that's had knock-on effects to supply chains in the UK too. You know, you've got huge, big, you know, huge amounts of, of, of warehouse space being now being taken up. You know, there's there's warnings every other week about capacity constraints in in all types of different um, warehouse operations in the UK now. So everyone's trying to get to a safe harbour. And when everyone tries to go through the harbour at the same time, you get log jams and it, it has knock-on effects. So, you know, like we're still seeing ramifications of, you know, the Brexit shakeout and there's still more to go. I mean, in October, there's another regulation change for address on pack and stuff like that as well, um, which may or may not actually go through. I hear rumblings about, but we'll see. Um, like it's it's still not quite shaken out yet, I don't think. But mm. we're, I think we'd say we're a long way through it. Um, we're going to come on to talk about reshoring. Um, I will come back to that. Um, there is a lot to get through today and, and uh, I've got questions I want to dive into from what you've all said. Um, um, have any of you passed on cost to customer yet with your saying margins are being pinched? No, we, we, we haven't. And obviously a lot, a lot of our products, uh, you know, in terms of our supply chain, being a manufacturer, we do ship internationally uh, from internationally and obviously imports. Um, you know, things like the raw turmeric route, the raw ginger route, you know, we'll, we'll have suppliers in, in Peru uh, and parts of uh, other parts of South America. Um, but, you know, things like packaging, we've seen an increase of, I think we're now at um, 20% um, up um, sort of uh, 12 to 18 months on. So those increases, you know, are becoming, uh, you know, are impacting margin. But for us, you know, price is massively important as with, you know, every brand. So we're trying our best to absorb it as much as possible. Um, however, you know, depending on, you know, obviously the, the current climate, inflation, et cetera, it may come come a point where we have to pass on those costs, uh, those costs and ultimately it'll be uh, down to the customer in terms of how they react to that. Anyone else want to pick up on that? Yeah, can I, can I just add that um, the cost of packaging has increased significantly. And um, I, I relate to your, your, um, your comments about margin. And uh, we, at the same as yourself, have tried to contain um, our price increases and uh, our margin has been suffering. But at the same time, um, the market is, is still very, very competitive out there for our products. Um, uh, and probably, Apart from shipping into Europe and the cost of shipping and the delays and everything else, the next thing uh, that hit us quite bad was the, the cost of packaging and the availability of packaging, the availability of cardboard. Um, Amazon seemed to be consuming it all, but uh, that, that's all I can add. At this point. <laughs> because a knowing, it's a knowing <laughs> smile and a noise from Nick. Nick? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh dear, that was uh, that was playfulness, wasn't it? Um, about a year ago, year and a half ago, when uh, one of the biggest mills in Europe shut down, and and then I think Amazon purchased the UK uh, distribution of, of another one. It was a it was an interesting time that was. Um, so, to address the initial question, no, we haven't increased costs as yet. However, it's going through now. Uh, we're in quite a price sensitive market, especially importing into other areas. Um, and also in the UK, where it's uh, now a more mature market for gins, you've always got to remember that there are other options. So, yes, whilst we're a premium uh, brand and that has maintained its growth and, and, and uh, performance this year, we've had to make sure that some of the prices um, just haven't gone up. So we've looked at how we can reduce costs in other ways. So, again, looking at our supply chain, look at our distribution, looking at uh, investment internally into efficiencies. Uh, has meant that we have actually managed to, to, to be cost 
kind of neutral on, on over the, the last year and a half. But this is the but bit. There's only so much you can do internally. And then, you know, you have to take into account that the cost that you're, you're, you're bringing in for all raw materials and labour as well. Labour's been a, a, quite a challenge, you know, recruiting, maintaining, um, but also making sure that you've got a, an efficient workforce. Um, yeah, that, those have been the challenges. Packaging. Yeah. Yeah, we went to see after we saw Doug. We went. We did a tour of Glasgow last week. It was excellent. We went to see um, French Duncan, who are a big manufacturer and um, big accountancy firm up there. And we we did an interview with the guy there, Graham. I'll, I'll send it to you guys because he. We just talked to him about inflation, basically. Um, my colleague Bethany, and he was like, "If you're gonna put," and I don't fully understand the the theory behind this. And a bit, it was like if you, you know, everyone's being affected by rising costs. And you're actually better to respond now with pricing increase than later because it'll seem it'll seem incongruous and as a jolt maybe in like if you if you wait too long and you don't go with the crowd. I mean, I'm, I'm do you know what I mean? So I, he, as a as a as an accountant in this space, he was like, yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna go go now. Um, so I. I I just, I've got two questions. I don't know which one to ask because I want to move on. I do want to move on to reshoring. Um, but like, I think we'll ask this one and if we can keep it quite a short answer, that'd be really nice, short response. So what's the one piece, thinking about, thinking about, I suppose, brands that are thinking about going international, what's the one piece of practical advice for those who've yet to tackle Europe now, obviously having all gone through the process and, and, and had all those learnings and all of you saying that you've, you've found that the operations has actually become um, uh, a, a hardened, um, a more hardened piece of kit coming out the other side. Um, let's go Thomas first. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the key one for me is compliance. And I think, you know, it's it's investing early in terms of that legal infrastructure, um, understanding, you know, what, what's required, you know, the the, regu- the regulations going into that country, you know, the tax implications, you know, the distribution logistics, um, all, all in a single, you know, bunch like and that is ultimately you know compliance around taking a product from the uk and internationalizing it and again there's you know there's a lot of from a legal perspective uh, i know a lot of companies and you know i'm uh, very close to the number of founders who have internationalized or are thinking about internationalization but they all uh, you know they all either wish they had you know, invested more in terms of understanding the the regularity and the uh, the legal infrastructure. Um, and if they have done that prior, then they are successful in terms of you know that that internationalisation. So, yep, certainly compliance from my perspective. Excellent, Doug. Um, probably the the biggest thing that we've been forced to tackle is automation. Right, it's trying to look at the whole internal processes in terms of local shipping and in the UK and also international shipping and say how can we better uh, automate this and uh, we have a number of disparate applications all talking to each other and um, uh, the essence would be my thoughts would be to go to an ERP a fully integrated ERP solution um, but uh, the costs are, are, are extremely high 
and um, it takes a long, long time to implement it. So what we have done is we've tried to hone our skills in terms of better understanding of the issues, doing some brainstorming around the issues. What's what are the issues in here? What's the problems? And uh, we have quite a strong team uh, with lots of ideas and uh, we've been able to refine our internal processes in relation to the applications that we use and try and make it more refined to try and combat the rising costs of um, labour. And um, I don't know if you guys have found this, but but trying to recruit skills in the UK is extremely difficult. Um, yeah. Skills that can be relied on. And it's not just the skills, it's, it's the... Um, attitudes and personalities of, of uh, the people um, out there in the, in the employment market. So a good fit, yeah. Any comments um, any of you would have on that? I'd be welcome. <laughs> can I come back to it? Can I? Can yeah, I? If yeah, we've got time, yeah. yeah so I'm not really answering your question, but yes, you are. Yes, you are. You did it brilliantly. You said automation, which I think is a great thing to take away. And you talked about ERP, and I'd like to go to Nick because Nick's obviously background is is large vats of gin um, with ERP and SAP and that kind of thing. And I know you're similar in that respect, Doug. Um, maybe he can. For me, um, the single biggest one I'd say is choose your partners wisely. Right. And look at the complete holistic cost of every operation that you're doing. Um, don't be swayed by a, um, a seemingly beneficial partnership, um, which then has long-term downfalls. So what we chose was partners who could deliver the full solution for exporting into the EU. Um, we chose, we are not professionals in the customs and excise. We chose to go that way. We can always pull that back in-house once things have become more evident in what you need to do, the compliance regulations and all that. Lot. But for me, the first one was to get it out to Europe and get it done. You know, our, our skills base was, was, was distillation, uh, UK and, and manufacturing. So we chose our partners really quite wisely. We chose some of the bigger, perhaps less agile, if you wish, uh, suppliers. So that's why we chose them after several months of they've gone through the real pain for the first few customers. Um, and now it's kind of, we're, we're looking at how we then manage that in a different way now. But for the first year and a half, two years, it's been, yeah, pick your partners wisely. Partners. Look at the holistic cost, not just the, you know, opportunity cost that you're looking at. And then yeah. you can always, you can always improve on it. But get that. For me, it was all about get, deal with the things you can and you're expert in. So leave the other professionals to do their bit. And that's what you pay them for. Yeah. Um, you can always bring it in-house and reduce the cost on a timely basis. But for me, it was just get into Europe, maintain the supply chain, make sure that you're evident and visible in those markets where others are having challenges. Excellent. And Sam, from your point of view, what do you, what do you, what, what, what's the yeah. question? One piece of practical advice. Yeah, I, for me, it's network design. And I, I obviously echo the, the previous three sentiments as well, very important. But if you're, if you're in the stage of not in Europe yet and you're thinking about going there and you're, you're yet to have an operation there, it's a, it's a full-scale audit and network design piece to understand every single piece of the puzzle and say, does your strategy map back to your business goals and does that then execute against your strategy? Because it's very easy to launch to or lurch to a quick decision that you may come to regret later because you think there's an easy route through 
but it doesn't actually meet your your larger business goals. Um, so it's, it is different if, depending if you're already operating in Europe or internationally or if you're about to go there, two very different questions to be answered. Um, but yeah, for me, it's a network design piece and just understanding all, all the pieces on the board and how they fit together to map to your business strategy. This podcast is produced by Unleash Software. We're part of the Access Group and provide transformative inventory management cloud software to thousands of businesses worldwide. Thank you.